We have made it to the end. Here we are. It is the end of our series on the Summer on the Mount, where we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just say, this summer at the crossing has been phenomenal. We've had such a great time connecting with so many of you, so many new people and people that have been around the church for a while in this COVID season, we've been able to gather and be together again. And it's been awesome. We've had three awesome summer nights where we just hung out and just had a good time together. We had summer school every Wednesday night this summer where we were learning through the word of God and just being together. We just got finished with kids camp this past week and man, it's phenomenal. That's why I'm wearing this shirt that says it takes a village. That's our theme for our kids ministry because we believe it takes a village. So huge shout out. Thank you, church. Thanks for all the volunteers and all the support this summer. And so we're wrapping it up. We're in Matthew chapter seven and we have a lot of verses to read, but they all kind of flow in the same in the same vein. So let me start first with Matthew chapter seven and verse 12, because I wanna make sure we read all of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're gonna start in verse 12 real quick. In verse 12 is Jesus wrapping up his, uh, he's been talking about the law since Matthew 5, 17, where Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, to put, but to fulfill it. Ever since then, he's been talking about the law and the prophets. And he puts the end cap on it. He finishes out this section in his sermon by saying this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay, this is the, the golden rule or really the universal law. And I, you know, I don't care if someone's a believer or a non-believer, this right here, they can get on board with. Just about everybody I know knows the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Jesus says, if you do this, then that takes care of all the law and the prophets. You can sum up the whole Old Testament and what God wants in that phrase. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So that's, a, that's an easy one. Yeah, we can get on board with that, Jesus. It's not hard. I mean, it's hard to do. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's actually hard, but we can agree on it. But see now these next coming phrases, these next coming words of Jesus as he closes out the sermon, these words are probably a little bit more controversial. Sure, everyone wants you to go by the golden rule, but not everyone is going to like the next words that come out of Jesus's mouth. They sound really exclusive. They don't sound inclusive, they sound exclusive. Uh, and, and Jesus makes it pretty clear on what it looks like to serve him in these next few statements. And that's what we're really talking about today is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so we're talking about the way of discipleship today to be a disciple, to be a true follower of Jesus. Look, Jesus doesn't want any halfway, half-hearted followers. You're either in or you're out. You're not passively being a follower of Jesus. He's bringing the kingdom. And the king is saying, here is the demands. This is what the kingdom is like. So let's start talking about the way of discipleship. We'll start in verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
those who find it are few. You know, if you were to travel somewhere, or maybe you have taken a plane ride uh, somewhere, you know, your only way you're going to get to your plane, the only way you're ever going to board that plane is you're going to have to go through the TSA security check. There's no other way to the plane. You have to go through the big x-ray machine. You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's, it's big, but only one person can fit through it at a time. It's really a narrow passageway that every person must go through if they're going to get to their destination. The only way to get to the plane is to go through that narrow gate so you can get to the destination. And Jesus is really telling us here how to get to the destination we all want to get to. We all want to get to the good life. You see what he said? The way to, Jesus is like, I'm going to show you the way to life, the way to the good life, the way to eternal life. It's not easy. It's not the easy path. It's actually the hard path. But this is how you get to where you want to go. See, we're all trying to figure out how we can flourish, how we can have the deepest meaning out of our existence on earth. Why are we here? What is our purpose? And if you remember, Jesus has really been addressing this since the beginning. The beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, he talks about these nine Beatitudes. He talks about these nine ways of living the blessed life. Here's how you live the good life. Here is what human flourishing is all about. This is what it looks like to live by God's design and his will for humanity, where you can find purpose and joy, where you can find happiness. We all want that. We all want the blessed life. What is the blessed life? Well, in Jesus's day for the Greeks, the blessed life was transcendent bliss. That's what the blessed life looked for them. For the Hebrews, it looked like deep well-being, inner peace and joy. So if you kind of put those two together, Pastor Dallas Willard, author, pastor, speaker, he says this, the blessed life, what is it really? Rather than happiness in its mundane sense, it refers to the deep inner joy of those who have long awaited the salvation promised by God and who now begin to experience its fulfillment now. How do you get there? How do you get to the good life? There's only one way. Jesus says it's a narrow way. The way to the blessed life is through him. It's not through any other path. It's not through any other way. You must follow Jesus but here's the thing, don't be fooled just because the, the way is narrow. Don't, it doesn't mean that it's boring or lifeless. There's a famous architect, his name is uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. And in Frank Lloyd's, in, in the houses that he would build, he has this technique called compression and release. Compression and release. And when you go in a structure that Frank Lloyd Wright has built, uh, you go and you enter an opening, but it's a very narrow pass. It's a very constricting pass. But all of a sudden the constricting pass lets and gives way to a huge spacious area. So his, his, some, some have said his architecture it has a temporary sense of tension followed by a powerful feeling of freedom. You go through a small narrow way and it lets out into a big open space. And you can check out these photos here of uh, a house that's actually the only house Frank Lloyd Wright built ever in the state of Tennessee. And it's right here in Chattanooga on Missionary Ridge. 
super famous architect built a house here. It's cool. But you can see one of these narrow passageways in the house. You see that hallway right there, just that narrow passageway. And this is what he's known for, a narrow passageway that lets out into wide open spaces. And when Jesus is talking about the broad way and the narrow way, listen to what really he's saying. The broad way, the easy way, really in the end, it's going to lead to narrowness. It's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead you to a small place. It's going to lead you to a hole. It's going to lead you to destruction. But the narrow way, the narrow gate, what it does is it looks narrow. From the outside in, it looks narrow. But when you really get to it, it actually opens up to a spacious freedom and vastness. If you've read the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, in the last battle, there's a scene where a man walks into a seemingly small stable. But when he gets in to the stable, he sees an incredible blue sky and he sees forests and lakes. It's like the small little stable he goes into was actually just an opening into another world. And this is what it says in the Chronicles of Narnia. The writer says, it seems then that the stable seen from within and the stable seen from without are two different places. Another said, yes, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And if I could tell you anything, I think the gospel of Jesus Christ, the narrow way is a lot like Frank Lloyd Wright's architecture. And it's a lot like the Chronicles of Narnia says, it seems narrow and constricting from the outside. But once you get into the gospel, it is a gospel of freedom. It is a gospel of the good life, the more abundant life. Compare that with the script that culture is handing us. What does the script from culture tell us about ourselves? It tells us that we're collective. We're not, we're not a collective whole, but we're really a rational, autonomous being. And that we find our meaning, we find the good life through unlimited freedom, self-expression, pleasurable experiences, humans' desires and choices and identities emerge from within. The movies and uh, Hollywood and art, it tells us, go find yourself, forge your own path, be your authentic self. It's, it seems like, yeah, that sounds good. That's the broad path. That's where I, the ultimate goal in life is to just get everything you want, indulge yourself in everything you want. The, see, see, the problem is that sounds wonderful. That sounds like, yeah, man, that's what I want. But look at us. Look at this experiment. It's not working. We're anxious we have unlimited freedom, but we have very little meaning. I like what Philip Manginelli says. He says, everyone living in freedom of excess are really slaves and they can't see it. You don't experience true life by doing whatever you want. Victory is not found in unrestrained freedom, but in the authority to say no. What's he saying? When you just do whatever you want, live however you want, go after whatever you want. That's not freedom. You actually end up becoming a slave. That's the broad way, the broad path that leads your life to destruction. But paradoxically, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, lay down your life and you will actually find life. It seems narrow from the outside, but really it's the most freedom you could ever have is to be free in Christ. The narrow way is the way to life, but it's not easy. And, but look, what in life that's good is easy. 
Absolutely nothing. It's easy for me to wake up and be selfish and think about myself. It's easy for me to put my needs before anyone else's needs. That's the easy way. That's the broad way. It takes a transformed heart by the grace of Jesus Christ to put others before myself and to think of how I can love my neighbor and even love my enemy. You see, the broad way, it's not the easy way. In fact, it's the hard way, but it's the only way that leads to life. So Jesus is saying, here's the way. Here's the way to discipleship. I'm the way. I'm the way to to the kingdom of God. I'm the way to heaven. I'm the way to the life you've always wanted. But you have to be careful because there are perils along the way. He gives us warnings. Here's a warning. Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So as we're on this road to, the, to discipleship, one thing that Jesus warns us about is false prophets. He tells us to look out for counterfeits, counterfeits. Hey, did you know that the United States Secret Service, it was specifically created during the Civil War because the Confederate Army was creating counterfeit currency. They were making fake money and it was being distributed in the North. So the U.S. Secret Service, believe it or not, was formed to stop counterfeit money. In, uh, in, in major financial regions of the United States, there are hundreds of thousands of counterfeit currencies seized every single week by the Secret Service. And you wanna know how they stop it? This is how the Secret Service stops counterfeit money. They stop it by being experts in the real thing. They're experts in our currency. And because they're experts in what our currency is, what it looks like, it's distinguishing marks, the, the, the little hidden things that are in there to tell the difference from fake ones that a, a person like you or not, we probably couldn't spot a fake, but they are trained to spot a fake because they know the real thing so well. So how can we avoid being led astray by false prophets? How can we be uh, sure that we are living out the real thing? And the way to be sure is you need to become an expert in the real thing. You need to become an expert in the word of God. You need to become an expert in what you believe and why you believe it. If you do not become skilled and trained in the real thing, how will you know when the fake thing is in front of you? And I, I believe we're in the last days. How do I believe that? All I got to do is read 2 Timothy 4, 3. Listen, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate teachers for themselves to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Man, over the past two years, I've been so surprised and very downcast and about the things people, people that call themselves believers have been 
believing. I've been so heartbroken at like the things that they've been lured into, some of them even walking away from their faith or some of them thinking they're doing the right thing in the faith, but their life looks nothing like the word of God. It's been really hard as a pastor. And so there's some things that I just wanna warn against today. Listen, not every person who has a YouTube page with a big following is someone you need to be getting your source of truth from. Fox News, Newsmax, CNN, these are not sources of truth that we run to. All these places, they have a narrative. They have an agenda. They have something that they want from you. And Jesus is offering you life, but what are they offering you? Yet these are the things over the past two years that we have run to and we've gotten really so many, uh, uh, much of our truth and what we think about the world and how we view the world. And we're getting it from sources other than scripture. Everything in our life should be filtered through God's word. You've got to have a lens of God's word, just like I'm wearing glasses today. I need to see the world through the lens of God's word and his will. Not what some guy on YouTube says, not what some person who claims they had a dream about and they know the future events that are gonna happen. Man, no, 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 no. You need need truth that comes from God's word. So I wanna give you three things real quick on how how do you know when you're dealing with a false prophet? How can you know when you're dealing with someone who's not preaching the truth and they don't have the best thing in mind for you? And there's three things. Um, I got this from Pastor Larry Stockstill. I think it's great. So three tests to see if someone is a false prophet. So number one, does the person have deceptive doctrine, creed? Now notice everything about a false prophet is deceptive. From at first, at eye's glance, even fake currency, fake money, you can't really tell it's fake just from a quick glance. Sometimes it looks awfully a whole lot about the real thing. So you really, you have to use discernment about what's being taught. And the first thing is, are they teaching something that is deceptive? How do you know if it's deceptive? Does it result in confusion rather than faith? False teachers always, their teaching leads to confusion and never gets really practical. What do I mean by that? It never builds your faith. You know, I was listening to a guy one time and he had all these crazy ideas about what was going on in the world. And it seemed very uh, fantastic. It seemed very interesting. It was almost, you know, it was almost like watching some conspiracy theory documentary on Netflix. And it was just so interesting and draws everyone in. And I was telling another pastor about this. And, and, and I said, man, what do you think about that? And he said, man, that's great. But does that help anyone love Jesus more? That's great. But does that really build anyone's faith? <laughs> And this is, this is huge. Be careful what you're listening to because is what you're listening to, is it sparking inside of you a desire to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind and all your strength? Or, you know, is, is this a teaching that's promoting me to trust God and move more in faith? And I'll just, you know, I have to say this. If what you're listening to is making you wanna stock up and prepare for the apocalypse rather than loving God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, you might be listening to the wrong thing. If it's not building your faith to serve Jesus, watch out, watch out. So does the teaching promote immorality in any way instead of holiness? 
Does it rationalize immorality? You know, is, is, and there's teachers out there, man, they, have, they can spin it every which way on why there's something spelled out clearly black and white in the Bible, why, why they can spiritualize it and, and somehow make it all right. Be careful. Does the teaching cause division instead of unity? This is huge. Does the teaching come from someone as like an elite, enlightened person, a part of a minority? Is it a teaching that upsets people's faith and promotes ungodliness and causes bitter division that's not from the Lord? Because we need sound teaching that produces faith and love and godliness. Is this teaching leading me to think about a certain group of people as my enemy or is it teaching me to love them even though they are my enemy, (laughs) even though they're different from me? Is it teaching me to love them? Because that is true biblical teaching because it's teaching that wants you to love God and love people. That is true. It's not conspiracy theories and all these other things floating around there on YouTube. That stuff isn't building your faith. You need to hear teaching that builds your faith. So that's the first one. Do they have uh, deceptive teaching? The next one is, what about their character? The character of the one who's speaking. Look, Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits. You can look at the character of their life. And is the lifestyle, is it consistent with the claims that they're making? I'm not saying we have to be perfect as teachers. God knows I'm a teacher, so please don't. But, but there should be something in my life that you see that the Holy Spirit is producing inside of me. If, if the person you're listening to, if the teacher up, up under, if they don't have a life that's full of the fruit of the Spirit, if they're not producing love, joy, patience, kindness, self-control, if these things aren't evident in their life, watch out. It could be a false prophet. You know, I remember there was a few years back, there was a really big revival happening in Florida, not the Brownsville revival, a different one. Uh, And everybody was wanting to go. They were claiming all sorts of things like miracles are happening. People are getting up out of wheelchairs and healings. And it was very sensational. Now, let me just say this. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. recently I've seen people healed, but if everything is always sensational, if everything is a sign and a wonder, I'm telling you, watch out a little bit because you know what? Following Jesus is not about always a sensational and a sign and a wonder. Following Jesus is about getting up every day, doing the day-to-day grind and work of the kingdom. It's not always sensational. Sometimes it's just putting one foot in front of the other. So, you know, my parents, they didn't feel right about this person who they had that weird, you know, feeling in their spirit, in their gut. There was a lot of people that were like telling them about this person. And they're like, oh man, we got to go see it. We got to go here, hear it. Have you seen, have you heard about this? And they just, you know, they were just a little worried because this guy, his teaching wasn't very gospel centered. It was kind of out and left field with some things. And, you know, another pastor friend of ours, they had a group of young people that had rented a van and they were going down to this revival, but the pastor stopped them and said, no, you're not going. You're canceling this trip. I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't know what's going on there. Well, it turns out just a couple of months later, it all comes out. This guy was having an affair with his assistant, was currently divorcing his wife and had a spiritual explanation on why that was okay. And he could do that. He had no paper trail of the money and the offerings that were given. He just wasn't living the lifestyle. And listen, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. 
So you, you can just look at the fruit, look at the character of their lives and you've got to realize, man, maybe this isn't a person that I need to be going to as a source of truth. Like I said, none of God's teachers are perfect, but man, they should have the active fruit of the spirit working in their life. And here's the third one. And I'm gonna go ahead and read this next scripture here. This might be the scariest verse in the entire Bible. The scariest verse in the entire New Testament. You know, false teaching will produce false converts. This is, this is scary. This is jolting. Jesus is saying in this scripture I'm about to read that you can be a false convert. You can think you're really doing God's work and saved, but you're really not. False teaching can produce deceived disciples. This is what Jesus said in verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then, he, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. How do you know if you're a deceived disciple or a false convert. Number one, you have a lot of enthusiasm, but not true spirituality. You see these people, they were super spiritual. Oh Lord, we prophesied in your name. We have all these gifts going in your name. You're, you're, they're so enthusiastic about their, their, their walk for the Lord and they're telling God how much they've done for him. And uh, here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter how loud your talk is. It doesn't matter how much you say you love God. All that matters is, are you really actually doing it? Talk is cheap. You're not gonna talk your way into heaven. You're not gonna talk your way into the, into the pearly gates. It's not gonna happen. Talk is cheap. God is looking for people who don't just talk it, but people who walk it, people who do the will of God in heaven. They said, we prophesied in your name. See, they, they, they were operating in a gift, but they weren't truly being spiritual. You know, we can, we can be easily more fascinated with God's power than we are the person of God. We can easily want God's gifts as a replacement for God himself. Prophecy is great. I believe in the spirit of prophecy. There's prophecy that happens in our church a lot. And I believe in all that stuff. But you see, the scary thing is, is you can have the gift, but not have really the giver, which is super scary. G, uh, Paul says this, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. So it's not just about gifts. It's not about how enthusiastic we could be or how many gifts we can operate in. And it's not even about power. He said, we've cast out demons in your name. We've done all these mighty works in your name. But listen, in the Old Testament, there was a warning against false prophets. It says this, if a prophet or a dreamer arises among you and gives a sign or a wonder, and that sign or that wonder comes to pass, Think about that. A false prophet can perform even signs and wonders. Power. It can even happen in false prophets. He says, and if that person says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, 
and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the power. It's about the person. It's about the will of God. That's terrifying. That should jolt you a little bit. You should, you should examine yourself and say, man, am I really in the faith? Am I really going after the will of God? Or am I a false convert? And lastly, Jesus warns us about storms along the way. Matthew chapter 24 Five, uh, seven twenty four says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who has built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was that fall. In 2018 in Mexico Beach, Hurricane Michael came ripping through the coast. In this particular area of Florida, it's the panhandle. It doesn't get these typically big storms like that happened in South Florida. So the building codes in this area require houses to be built to withstand anywhere from 120 to 150 miles per hour. But unfortunately, Hurricane Michael hit land at 162 miles per hour, effectively destroying and ripping through all the houses and all the the buildings that have been there really since the 70s. But in this pile of rubble, in this devastation, there stood one house seemingly unharmed, It was known as the Sand Palace and it had just been built by two doctors, one of which is from Cleveland, Tennessee. They knew the codes, but they decided that they wanted to build a house that could withstand the big one. They built their house. The codes were 120 to 150. They built this house to withstand 250 mile per hour winds. The house was fashioned from poured concrete, reinforced by steel cables and rebar with additional concrete bolstering the four corners of the house. They built it high into the air on pilings to keep it above the surge water uh, of the sea. And it, <laughs> it took longer to build and essentially it cost double the price per square foot that it would have cost if they would have just built it to normal code. But you see, after the storm, when everyone else is picking up the pieces of their home, there is the sand palace. There is this two doctor's house that they built. It stands there majestic amongst the wreckage. All other structures failed, but theirs did not. Jesus tells you whether you serve him or not, you can be sure of one thing. There is a storm that is coming. You don't really know when it's gonna happen. In one instant, your life can be flipped upside down. One phone call can change everything. One, uh, one sobering moment, <laughs> everything changes in your life. And there's only one thing that matters in that moment. And that is, have you built your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word? You don't know when that storm's coming. And when it happens, it's too late to start shoring up the foundation of your your life or your marriage or your kids or your job. It's just too late. When Hurricane Michael showed up on the radar, they couldn't go and try to rebuild their house the correct way. At that point, it is what it is. 
It is whatever they had built it, whatever they had invested into it. You have an opportunity now. I have an opportunity now to make sure our lives are built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his word. And when the storm comes, it might be devastating. It might be horrific. But when it's all over, we can have confidence that we will still be standing because of Jesus and his word. And the Sermon on the Mount finishes. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I wanna conclude today by thinking about Jesus as the judge. Go back to that scripture we just talked about a little bit earlier about people standing before Jesus on judgment day and him telling people, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's a scary scary thought. It's a thought our world doesn't want to think about. The broad way doesn't want to think about it. That's too narrow of a mindset. You know, we just had the opening of the Olympics and the big opener of the Olympics, they sang that Beatles song, that John Lennon song called Imagine. And come on, the Beatles are great. The song is a great song, but really its message is not that great. It's not anything like what Jesus would say because Listen to this line. It says, imagine that there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Listen, that is the anthem of the broad way. That is the anthem of a secular world. No heaven, no hell, no judgment, just today. I like what the Catholic Bishop Robert Barron, he said this, about that. He said, I frankly can't imagine anything worse. To say that there's no heaven or hell is to say that there's no absolute criterion for good and evil. No way of meaningfully determining the difference between right and wrong. No standard outside of the subjectivities of each moral actor by which to say any one agent is better than the other. Nope, here's the truth. You can't take Jesus's words of love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you want them to do unto you. You can't take those words, but then not acknowledge and throw out these other words that Jesus has to say. Because in what I've read today, what have we've gone through in the Sermon on the Mount today? This is what Jesus is saying. There's only two ways, the easy and the hard. There's only two gates, the narrow and the wide. There's only two crowds, the large and the small. There's only two destinations, life or destruction. The ultimate destination on judgment day is heaven or hell. Only two ways. Those are the only two options, one or the other. And Jesus is saying, whatever you do with me, whatever decision you make about me and my words determines which path you're on. That sounds exclusive. Well, Jesus is exclusive. <laughs> he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father, to the kingdom, except through him. It's the narrow way, but it's the good way. Let me pray for you today. Father, I pray for those watching. Pray for those who are, maybe they're at this decision point in their life. They gotta choose whether they're gonna live on the broad path that leads to destruction, the easy way, culture's way or if they're gonna lay their life down for you. 
Father, I pray conviction on the hearts of people who are listening. I pray they would realize that one day they will stand before you and they'll either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or they'll hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Father, I pray that today, Lord, Holy Spirit, that they would call out to you and be saved, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, it's been a wonderful, wonderful summer together. Listen, if you have prayer requests, if you heard this message today and you say, you know what, I need to, I need to surrender my life to Christ, will you let us know? Send us an email. You can, uh, you know, send us there on the virtual church on our app. You can just tell us and let us know what's going on in your life. We love to pray with you. We love to pray over these needs. Well, hope you're having a safe and great summer. And we'll see you right back here, 9 or 11 o'clock, live 10 a.m. right here on Virtual Church.